Perfect. All right. Well, I'm here with Neil Haverstick. Neil is a guitarist from Colorado who specializes in microtonal guitar. And um, I'm really excited to go through a ton of different uh, microtonal stuff. Um, but Neil, can you first uh, introduce us to yourself by way of telling us about your coffee habits, if you have any? Oh, I love it. I have gone to a coffee shop every morning, probably for the last 20 years, if not more. It's, it's a habit. I mean, if you wanted to assassinate me, you know where I'll be every day in the morning. <laughs> so I get it. But, I, you know, it, I, I like coffee and I like to read the paper, even though the papers these days are pretty, pretty shitty. Mm -hmm. It's just the feeling of sitting there, you know, being out a little bit out of the house and waking up and do it every day. And you do a physical paper? Yes. <laughs> Not a virtual paper? And I do, look, here, here's what happens, just riffing on coffee. When I wake up in the morning, I look. I'll spend an hour or two, depending on time, looking at this news source, that one, reading articles, just seeing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then we grab the paper. Uh, the, the, I hate to say it, the Denver Post has gone way, 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 way down. Mm. It's owned by a hedge fund now out of New York. Oh, goodness. Yeah. They gutted the editorial. I mean, they gutted the reporters. 60, 70 people went. So it's, you know, something I like to do. And I'll bring a book. If I got time, I'll read a book. But by the Whoa. way, since coffee, that means mocha to me, not coffee. Okay, interesting. Without chocolate, there is no coffee. How's that? <laughs> um, man, it's it's a funny thing to get like a little snapshot of everybody's personality by what they drink coffee wise. And I think that a mocha is the first. This is the first time I've heard that. Um, that's great. Um, cool, interesting. Is there a coffee shop you like in Denver? Oh, they're called Caribou. It, it's a chain, but uh, some of the mom and pop places. I'm I'm very particular about coffee. If it doesn't taste just right, I'm out of here. Have you ever been to a Sweet Bloom? Never heard of it. Interesting. Um, I, I'm like, I was at one point deep in the coffee game, and um, I, I went as far as actually to go to Denver to compete in a coffee competition that was there a few years ago. So, um, well, well, What's a coffee competition? I just, I mean, like people competing over who brews the best coffee. I ah. didn't do very well, but... <laughs> so you brew your own coffee? Mm -hmm. Oh, very I mean, cool. Yeah, I was in the industry for a while, and so um, I, I take it very seriously. I'm, I'm the type of guy that shines a laser through coffee to get the refractive index and all this stuff. So, You know, what's interesting, I mean, just riffing, that's what I like to do. Um, you know, I've read, I read, I like history, and I was reading about in box time, you know, coffee shops were brand new, and there was debates about it. People said it was sinful and against <laughs> Christianity. I mean, just crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Do you know about Bach and Zimmerman's coffee house? No, not at all. <laughs> Please tell me. You know, he was a hardworking feller. The last 27 years of his life, he lived in Leipzig and wrote a cantata every weekend for four churches. So he was a busy boy. <laughs> but for his own music, there was a place called Zimmerman's. So he'd get all these college kids in there and have music nights, and they played his music. Interesting. True story. And we're talking, we're talking JS, right? JS. <laughs> And he, he got paid, but I don't think the students did. <laughs> so that's how he would get his own music performed. But much the same as we do now. Interesting. Um, it's funny. I've never really thought about Bach and coffee at all. <laughs> but uh, He, he yeah. wrote a piece called The Coffee Cantata, which I've never heard. It's humorous about a girl that her dad wants her to give up coffee, but she won't do it. Blah, 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 blah. Crazy shit. <laughs> interesting i'm a big bach guy he's he's the master um 
Man, um, actually, you know, speaking of Michael Kudurka, um, he he was doing this, uh, you know, guitar quartet of well-tempered clavier pieces, and um, I think he's recorded them with his microtonal guitars, so it's like you know, perfectly in tune, and it's it's lovely. Um, it's just so resonant, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll share it with you when we're done with this. But send me, could you send me a link? I'd yeah, like absolutely. to hear it. Yeah, it's it's so it's so nice and in tune, but um, uh. Interesting. So um, before we dive straight into microtone stuff, I, I was curious, you mentioned um, in one of these videos that you used to collect spiders. And, you know, I, I have some love for invertebrates. And um, I, I'm just curious, uh, you know, what, what that's all about. I, okay, I will tell you. Let's see, this, it was 86 that all changed. I used to have dreams about spiders everywhere. Hmm. Really interesting. I didn't know why. They never touched me in the dreams. There'd be webs all over a room and I'm walking through it and spiders, you know, and okay. And one night, this, this is, you asked, I had a dream <laughs> that there was a big spider in my hand, yippee, and it bit me, but it didn't hurt and I didn't scream. And after that dream, everything changed. And that's when I started collecting spiders. Interesting. Okay. So it, my, you're saying dream specifically, not nightmare, right? No, they weren't nightmares. They just, just happened. I didn't know why. And my last spider just died a few months ago. She was like 25 years old. Huh. They can live a long time. Uh, what sort of variety did you have? I, I'm sorry? What, what were like the different, uh, I mean, did you have like different types of spiders or uh, like, did you go out and get like, are they large spiders? Or are they little tiny friends or... Uh, the last one was what we call a rose hair, you know, about like that, not huge. Okay. I just got on a spider forum and Facebook. Oh my God. I'm, I'm a greenhorn. I mean, I had 15, 20 spiders at one time, maybe 15. Wow. But these guys are putting up pictures of these incredible, beautiful spiders and how they take care of them and all. So I'm, I'm learning. Mm -hmm. um, man. Yeah. Spiders are such a beautiful creature. And um, yeah, I, I shared this little blog post with you about this guy doing photography on the spiders and I, I just thought it was such a beautiful piece that he wrote because you know he realized that there you know he has all these roommates that he wasn't aware of previously so um are, do you pay attention to the wild spiders in your yeah, house as well or <laughs> yeah if I, if, you know i've got these real funny looking ones they're called somebody told me they're called cellar spiders kind of like a daddy long legs you know real thin legs okay and they'll just pop up here and there and I don't pay much attention to them. Well, all right. Well, I would I would say pound for pound, they're the scariest animal in the world. They terrify people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're weird. They're weird fox. I, I wish. I mean, like I I feel like I have a little bit of a not like I, I have such a reverence for them, but I do feel like a little like you know the, like some sort of provocation by them that uh, makes me a little bit averse, but. Uh, anyway, um, just wanted to ask about the spiders because well, it's, it's an interesting uh, little and, side hobby. Well, I don't know how much of my music you've heard, but I wrote a piece called Spider. Mm -hmm. It's on five of my CDs. It's kind of like my signature piece. So I'm I'm into it. I, I heard you perform that in that video. And um, so is that um, like, is that mostly a composition or is that like, a, are you improvising based on some sort of structure or? Yes. Okay. It's a good, good way to start. It's... Um, each version on my CDs is different. And again, back to Bach, he would write a piece for keyboard and then arrange it for lute or orchestra. He did that over and over and over. So that really influenced me. So with Spider, my first version was in 
92, I won a big contest in Guitar Player magazine with a three-minute piece. It had to be three minutes called Spider Chimes. And I put that on my first album. Then I've got a space version on my third album. I got one on my fifth jazz trio version. Then I did an orchestral version. Oh, hold on, one of my ferrets. Oh, gee, jerk. <laughs> oh, my God. It's your ass. Hold on. <laughs> I have ferrets, too. They're my... <laughs> I love these guys to death. This is... This space weasel. Hey, space weasel. He just knocks something over like he likes to do. <laughs> They're a riot. Funniest animals on the planet. Anyway. <laughs> um, so a friend of mine, Thomas Blomster, arranged some of my riffs of Spider for his chamber orchestra. Cool. Ten, ten strings and percussion, and we recorded it. It's on my album Spider. They did a really good job. Awesome. Um, so it's based off... Do you know what a serial row is? Mm -hmm. Like a 12 tone thing? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, this is a 19 tone serial row I came up with. Okay. So that's what the piece is based off of, basically. So each version, yeah, I, I get the row going and then I improvise wherever okay. it goes. Okay. And so this is on the, the 19 tone equal temperament guitar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a, a electric and an acoustic. Gotcha. Interesting. And it uses all 19 of those tones. Um, how did you just sort of happen upon that row or um, where did you get the row? Good questions, dude. <laughs> um, I, a number of my 19 tone pieces actually started out in 12 and then I would adapt them. Okay. So this piece was years ago. I won that contest 30 years ago. So I already had a little bit of spider in 12 and then I just, just started screwing around with it and improvising. And somehow, I can't tell you how, came up with the serial row. Gotcha. But you just jotted it down and you have it ingrained in your mind now? It's funny. I talk about this with my students all the time. It's actually really easy for me to play. But if I handed that guitar to most human beings, it'd be a slog. It's a humor. <laughs> for me, it's easy because I wrote it. <laughs> right. And I played in a lot of... A lot of situations where the music was very difficult for me. Well, I didn't write it, so you know I had to find it, if you will. Mm -hmm. But my music, not hard at all. <laughs> now, uh, with a 19-tone guitar, um, you know, like I, I'm a bit of like a, a mathematics fetishist. Like I'm not great with it uh, on my own, but I do appreciate it. And so, you know, uh, 19 is a prime number, and I saw that you have like you know 34-tone, 22-tone. And so I'm curious um, sort of how numer numerological you get and um, if there's anything special about 19 being a prime or um, other, you know, sort of, uh, you know, compound numbers or composite numbers. You know, these are the <laughs> things that you will see discussed over and over and over. It's, it's a good discussion. There's mm -hmm. I get it. The way I got 19. I have a great friend. We still play together. Bassist named John Sterrett who got me into this in 1989. It was simple. He brought a 19 tone guitar over. Said, I haven't looked back. It's the old saying. Mm -hmm. I didn't look back. I was in. Mm -hmm. So as far as the numerological, <laughs> I didn't think of any of that. I get it. And I, I'm aware that there are, let, let, let's put it this way. I, I, I love science, but I believe there's more to the universe than just that. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm not a mathematician either, but I know some geniuses. So it's just a matter of chopping up the octave into 19 or 24 mm -hmm. with logarithm. So that's what equal temperament is. And it just so happens that 19 will give you these thirds and 34 gives you those thirds. It's To me, it's just kind of like an accident of mathematics. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, when I heard you playing on it, um, you're showing these different intervals and I was very impressed by how in tune so many of them seemed. And it's interesting knowing that it is, you know, a logarithmic temperament because like um, I, for a while I went through a phase of being like the guitar is a terrible instrument because it's so poorly tuned. And, um, you know, meanwhile, you're playing with this like obscure temperament and it sounds so resonant. So um, happy accident. <laughs> you know, when I started out, it's been 89. So, you know, 33 years, I didn't know anything. I had heard of quarter tones, you know, like mm -hmm. a lot of musicians. I saw Ravi Shankar in 1968. I got an album with the Oud in 67. So I've been aware of Arabic and Indian music my whole life, but you'd read about quarter tones. Okay. Well, once John gave me the, the, the 19 tone, I just started digging in. That's what I do. And I started meeting, you know, I met Schneider, Johnny Reinhardt, John Catler, all the names and did gigs and and you, you mentioned Seth there's mm -hmm. some of his articles really helped me mm -hmm. I, I didn't know anything so I'd be reading oh you know I can do this I can do that mm -hmm. so he might not know it but he was a big influence in me when I got started yeah um yeah he spoke very highly of the way that you handle the 19 tone guitar um well, you didn't mention the 34 or the 22 but yeah <laughs> well my 22 by the way is not equal tempered. Okay, interesting. Now I mentioned John Starrett, but we're still doing gigs. He he was a, he he's a bassist, one of my two favorite bassists of my whole career. He's a monster player, and he got his PhD in math some years ago and went to New Mexico for like fifteen years and taught. And then he came back, so he's retired now. But I came up with the idea for the twenty-two tone tuning on my own after many years of study. It's do you know who Wendy Carlos is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast. You heard yeah, that totally. one? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a tune on there called Just Imaginings. And she uses the harmonic series from 16 to 32. Okay. For that tuning. She takes 12 notes out of the 16. Well, that tuning I really liked. So my 22 tone has every harmonic from 16 to 32 plus six more notes. And I can never remember what they are. <laughs> so John did the math on that one because that ain't logarithm and he converted it to where my luthier another guy named Brian Deckabach who's a great luthier he he did the fretwork awesome um that's, that's super interesting um so I you know I have this friend that I mentioned Michael Gadurka, and he's working on this company um where they have these magnetic fretboards where you can just swap them out in yes. 30, 30 seconds yes. and I'm, I'm so curious like um if you sort of like were able to just have whichever temperaments or whichever tunings um which ones would you go for like what would be your first things if you were to just have like an instrument you can swap it in and out effortlessly like what's your collection and of again these are great questions dude and and again these are things that people discuss over and over and over mm -hmm. how do i put it okay I, i'm i'm riffing on this but i'm i'm going to answer it in the best way i can sure. I play a lot of different styles of music to start with. Mm -hmm. So when people say like, who's your favorite guitarist? I can't say Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. I have to include Paco de Lucia and Django Reinhardt and Joe Pass and 
a bunch of country guys and you know mm -hmm. so when it comes to attuning well what do i want to do what do i want to do mm -hmm. so there was a guy named brian mclaren who i think lives in washington corvallis i haven't heard from him in years and he sent me a lot of papers early on and he said something that seems real simple but it's really profound which tunings let's say temperaments now let's don't get into pure tuning just yet which which equal temperaments give you pretty good thirds and fifths some do and some don't so if you like chordal music and i love chordal music well then you probably like temperaments with good thirds and fifths to play mm -hmm. nice sounding chords that makes sense yeah but i have friends that are in the 16 notes of the octave which i would never want to play mm -hmm. but they make great music with it mm -hmm. so this is just a personal subjective choice so 19 i have two 24 tone guitars by the way one's equal and another one is not equal Interesting. john starrett it's every harmonic from 24 through 48. <laughs> Wow, cool. And Starrett fretted that one. Uh, he's really, he's a sharp feller. Um, then I have 31, 34, and 36. Each one, the thirds may be better in this one. Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. You, you kind of balance it all out. So 36, for example, is really just three 12 tone equal temperaments intertwined. Mm -hmm. So you could play in a 12 tone band with 36 and hit all the right notes. Mm -hmm. But when you add the other, the other 24 notes, you get some really cool stuff. So 36 tone equal temperament, I've got one tune, is killer for blues. Because it gets the seventh harmonic, mm -hmm. which is perfect for blues, and a bunch of other variations of the seventh harmonic. So when you play blues in the 36, it sounds really right, except you go, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Wait, hold on here. You can hear it's a little different. So would you say that, um, I mean, like <clears throat> when you're finding which, uh, you know, temperaments have good thirds and fifths, are you kind of saying like the good quote unquote thirds and fifths are the ones that are like in the harmonic series? Like, yeah. it, does it always come back to the harmonic series? Sure. Okay. Good question. The close, it's the whole question. What is being in tune anyway? Mm -hmm. Well, closer you are to the natural harmonics, the more in tune you are. But wait a minute, I'm just riffing. What if you go up higher in the harmonic series? There's a lot of dissonance too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, still derived from something, you know, uh, natural to some extent or something like that. Well, there, there's a term uh, tension and release that, mm -hmm. so you can hit a really gnarly sequence, ugh, but you resolve it. Everybody goes, ah. <laughs> yeah, that's life. Mm-hmm. I like to say, if you made a movie about a married couple that never had any problems, it'd be pretty boring. Right. Mm -hmm. Tension is part of life, and how do we resolve that tension? So in music, and I'm a big blues guy. That's my roots. I like to say blues is beautiful, but it isn't pretty. It's not a pretty music. Mm -hmm. Pretty gnarly. It's street. Well, in blues, you're always creating dissonance. You start bending strings, and now, wait a minute, how are you going to resolve that bend? Mm -hmm. and you can bend and it's like come on dude hit and bonk ah albert king's one of my favorite musicians and he didn't have a lot of you know intellectual technique but goddamn, when he was on get mm -hmm. out of the way yeah um it's, it's interesting because like with microtonal music i feel like oftentimes the first thing somebody thinks of is like this overly academic sort of like you know a 
you know, nerd music, as it were. And um, it's really interesting to me that you are in this sort of grittier realm where, like, it almost feels more at home. I mean, it, it probably does feel more at home. Like, you know, the seventh harmonic, that's essentially like the kind of like the flat, flat, flat seven. Or it is. Sharp it's just six. flatter than the 12 tone seven. Mm-hmm. You just that said seems something perfect so for blues. Well, you just said something so important, man. Again, about the intellectual part. Look, I'm real street. I grew up in the slums of St. Louis as a kid. So we were funky little boys, trust me. So I temper that language just to be humorous. But I can, you ever read Miles Davis's autobiography? I think way back when, like a while ago. But, well, um, it... he, he grew up in East St. Louis. The word motherfucker is like air in St. Louis. So that's how I grew up, but I temper it a bit. Sense of humor here. Um, <laughs> but I respect anybody that goes for this, you know, concept of microtones. But a lot of it can be just, how do I say it? It's not that it isn't good music. Let's put it this way. I have a good friend. She just moved to LA, by the way. She's out there now. And I sent her to some sites years ago. And she said, I I can't listen to it. It's just so academic, intellectual. Well, that's a tricky Mm -hmm. word. That doesn't mean it's bad. But it's what you just said. Howlin' Wolf is different than Arnold Schoenberg. Right, yeah. You can't put the stuff in a little box. Everybody's got their idea, and I respect that. But give me Hank Williams any day when it gets down to it. Mm -hmm. And that is why our little group out here, me and Starrett and the drummers we've used, we are different. Mm -hmm. Because we do play blues, reggae, jazz, and all this in microtonal tunings. You know John Cattler? I, I don't know. He was doing this before I was. He's a great guitar player. He's in Boston now. And they have him and his wife have a blues band, the 13 o'clock blues band. <laughs> and he does all just intonation, though, for the most part. Okay. Oh, uh, he's look into Cattler. Definitely will. Um, interesting. It, the 13 has nothing to do with their selected temperaments or anything. <laughs> he's invented a guitar. It's really ingenious. He calls it 12-tone plus. It's 12-tone guitar, but he'll put extra frets on for the 7th and 13th harmonics and stuff. Interesting. Which is really cool. So you could be playing in a regular blues band and then have access to the the harmonic 7th. Nice. Yeah, and what, I think the the videos I saw of you um, playing in like a trio. Um, I think uh, I saw that you're playing Les Paul. Is that just like a standard twelve uh, tone Les Paul? Yeah, if th- that was my blues band. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so the um, okay, I guess here um, I also saw that you were doing Squires, and you know you're saying like they're two hundred bucks, they stay in tune great. Um, I mean, it, what would you say the cost of entry for, like, a microtonal instrument is if somebody wanted to get into it beyond the $200 for a Squire yeah. in perfect, terms of, like, refretting? Perfect segue. So let me show you this. This is my book, one of them, uh, hopefully microtonal. It's about my instruments with a lot of anecdotes from my career, too. It's, and mm-hmm. so I got pictures and graphs of all the tunings. The most expensive instrument I have is an oud I bought from a friend for a grand. Nice. The Squires were all 200 bucks. My Epis, one of them was given to me. I'm a big Epiphone Squire guy. Love them. 
Mm -hmm. um, so your cost of entry, look, make sure whatever the price you pay that the guitar stays in tune because if you're going microtonal, it does make a difference. Right, totally. Because you're trying to get those subtle shades and if the guitar doesn't stay in tune, you're, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to pay much at all. You gotta know what you're looking for. Uh, is there any sort of advice you, you'd give somebody in finding like a uh, capable luthier to do the fretting and make sure that everything's you know, on point? Yeah, it's funny. Because look, if it's just the log rhythm system for equal temperament, any competent luthier should be able to do that. Okay, interesting. But some of them don't or won't. I've talked to guys all over the country, and I've referred a number of them here because we got John and Brian that can do this work. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so 12 tone logarithmically is called the 12th root of two. That's how you divide it up. Well, 36 is the 36th root of two. It's the same principle. Mm -hmm. So in my fretless guitar, I have a uh, Ibanez, 200 bucks. It's mm -hmm. killer. Killer. I love that attitude because, you know, so many people like I, I, you know, I know that you do have a lot of pedals, but I, I kind of like. I, I frown upon, uh, you know, the sort of like gear fetishism a little bit where, you know, people just, here's my other guitar. Here's like, it's like, you don't need like a bunch of thousand dollar guitars, like 12, you know, $12,000 on guitars right there. Shit. That's why I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, let me say something about pedals. When I do blues gigs, I got an Ibanez tube screamer. That's it. But nice. when I do my solo microtonal shows, I do a lot of looping. Mm-hmm. So I need all those delays, you know, to set up the loops and all. Mm -hmm. So I've got 14 pedals on two different boards. So let's say I go to Boston. I went there last October. They all fit in my, uh, I can get seven pedals in my flight case. Nice. Perfect. And I'm always afraid the TSA is going to think they're bombs or something. <laughs> yeah, TSA always thinks that my coffee is uh, a bomb somehow. So <laughs> I know. But I should be careful saying this. I don't want them to watch this and uh, get any ideas. Um, so, um, you know, my my buddy was saying that 19 equal temperament is hot right now. And he mentioned that 31 is um, also kind of coveted, but that you have to, you know, wrangle all these extra frets. So are there any temperaments that you like love, but they just have these practical limitations or like kind of inconveniences? You know, that's another great question. It leads to, it connects to this. How do I say this? So here's 19 with 19 notes. And here's, let's say, 34. Well, I might not play the same kind of music in 34 that I do in 19. Mm -hmm. it, it is hard to, you can't play a bar chord in 34. Don't worry about it. I don't play many bar chords anyway on microtones, but I can, of course. That's how I learned as a kid. Sure, 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 sure. So in 34, I tend to do more linear stuff, not as okay. much harmonic stuff. It's just the way it works for me. 19, I, I'm as comfortable in 19 as I am in 12. No problem. I can play anything I want. Jazz, it doesn't matter. But that took a few years. So for chordal music, 24 is manageable, but that just gets you the 11 limit harmonics. It's not much different than 12. But 19 really is not like 12, although... You can fool people in 19. It sounds, well, wait a minute. What? what? It's really cool. Mm -hmm. 
I love 19 because you can do blues and jazz and and tweak it. Let, let, let me let, let me riff on that. Sure. I, I don't like hurting people's feelings. Everybody's human that plays, but here in Denver, it's a pretty mediocre blues scene. Okay. Sorry. It just is. I've been here 44 years. It's there's a few good players and a lot of bands, but it's mostly just jams and not what I consider great blues. Um, That music to me needs to move on a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't need guys sounding like Howlin' Wolf in 1956. I'm not saying it isn't good music. Don't get me wrong. I want to move it on. And that's what Catler's doing too. He does a lot of killer stuff. It just, like I said, you'll hear the blues licks and you go, well, wait a minute. What's he doing? Mm-hmm. So I want to, 19, what I'm trying to say is good for taking, let's say, traditional American music, for lack of a better term, Americana, and, and messing with it a little bit. You can, okay. I got a country tune called Jimmy and Joe in 19. It's a riot. It's real fast, almost bluegrassy but I can get those two extra beats in a measure because I got 19 tones instead of 12. Mm-hmm. You go, what? So if you picked up your 12 tone and tried to play it, you're dead. Gotcha. With say like, um, you know, a tune like say like giant steps where it goes between these different key centers. Um, you know, I assume that you would be able to mostly, you know, fool people like you say, uh, since it's a equal temperament 19, but um, does it sort of start to get squirrely with something like that? Like um, it, doing 19 temperament over, you know, a giant steps type tune. It, you don't know this. I've rewritten giant steps for 19. Cool. I have a chart. I le- I can play the chords. I haven't learned to solo over it yet, but I could. John and I rehearsed it a while back, but we just didn't have time to get into it. But there's a bunch of microtonalists that are always arranging giant steps for different <laughs> tunings. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did it in 19. And it's killer. Look, in the original Giant Steps, there's 16 measures. I have 28. Okay. So all I'm doing is keeping the basic structure and putting some extra passing chords in. Gotcha. Interesting. It, it, it sounds killer. <laughs> so I'm always I'm on a lot of jazz threads in Facebook, and I'll see these guys talking about, you know, what's next in jazz. And you mention microtonal tunings, and nobody says anything because they're not thinking well, what are we going to do next? Look, being 70, the one advantage is I've heard a shitload of music. <laughs> shitload. Tons and tons and tons. So I've been hearing this, a lot of the same stuff. Just riffing. Who's gone beyond Coltrane in a sense? I don't think anybody has. Who's gone beyond Hendrix and Machine Gun? I don't think anybody has. Mm-hmm. When I hear Machine Gun, which to me is one of the great statements of 20th century music, I watch it a lot on video, you know, feedback and harmonics flying around. And I'm, well, nobody ran with that in guitar. Mm-hmm. Listen to Joe Badamasa, who's a great player, but he's pretty, pretty conservative in my view. Very conservative. That's why he's so popular, because people can hack it. Mm. Doesn't mean he can't play. I'm not dissing him. Don't get me wrong. But who took what Jimi Hendrix did with the harmonics, you know, and the feedback and all that and ran with it? Maybe David Torn. You know who David mm-hmm. Torn is? Yeah, totally. Fucking monster. His last album in ECM was all looping, which he does. And so he's kind of ran with that a little bit. And that's what I try to do in my looping shows, because I can 
actually play my digital delays and do all kinds of cool stuff with them. Mm -hmm. And then Coltrane, I just heard something in the radio the other day, one of his, you know, tunes. And it's like, man, why aren't people playing like that anymore? Yeah. But you, <laughs> the here's discipline. the problem. This is what I'm getting to. In 12 tone equal temperament, I don't think you can go beyond John Coltrane. He did it. Mm -hmm. True. That's just me. I think I, I would agree. say sense of humor. Prove me wrong. Yeah, so to I, get beyond, oh, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I, I just agree. Like, I, I feel like uh, you know, Coltrane was obviously such a, a capable, disciplined person, and he, I mean, he put in all the work, and I don't think that people these days want to put in that much work. Well, sadly. Okay. Somebody said on one of the forums once, I said something about blues moving on, needing to move on. And they said, well, maybe it doesn't have to. Okay. I'm not going to debate that. Fine. But Howlin' Wolf and Muddy, they went to Chicago and took Delta Blues and made it electric and changed all of music forever. Because mm -hmm. the British guys got a hold of it. And then that became hard rock and heavy metal. Mm-hmm. So they went electric is what I'm saying when they went to, and Wolf was playing electric in, in Memphis, but let's, how many Howlin' Wolf tunes were done? Cream did them, the Doors did them, Rolling Stones did it. And then that led you into, you know, then you're, then you're getting into Deep Purple and Yes, and that's all Pink Floyd. And then the metal, once you got Zeppelin now and Cream, now metal's coming out of that. Mm -hmm. That's all from... Delta Blues. Um, that simple. I, I'm somebody who, like, I sort of never really got into blues. Like, I, I probably should have given it more attention, but I've always been into, like, other sort of geekier things. And so I'm curious, um, for somebody who's a noob to blues, what would your suggested listening be? There, there's a lot. When, when you go back, the other thing is blues is so blues, jazz, country. These are all no more than 100 years old to start with. Mm -hmm. that, that that's not much considering Arabic music goes back thousands of years and Indian music. Mm -hmm. So these are very new forms that developed in this country, you know, from the mix of blacks and whites and Indians and all that. Mm -hmm. So you go back to Charlie Patton who died in 1934. He was acoustic. Of course, you might think of him as the root of a lot of this. He sound Howlin' Wolf sounds like Charlie Patton in a sense. He hung out with Charlie Patton and learned how to play from listening to him. So you get Charlie Patton, Wolf, Muddy, Sunhouse, uh, Robert Johnson, of course, uh, all those acoustic guys in the Delta. Okay, so that's all acoustic music. Then they moved to Memphis. I'm oversimplifying. And they started getting amps because you were in these loud clubs. Mm -hmm. So you had to have amplification. Well, then little Walter added amplification to his harmonica. And all of a sudden, he didn't sound like some guy on the back porch. He sounds like Jimi Hendrix playing harmonica, which he was. So Little Walter's a big, big icon. Great harmonica playing. But Helen Wolf, Muddy Waters, Johnson, uh, Sonny Boy Williamson, Albert King, B.B. King, those are the names you want to start with. Okay. Awesome. Helen Wolf's my personal favorite. I'm sorry? Yeah, I'll have to do a listening party. I've got your email. I'll send you a few of my favorite tunes. Beautiful. Okay, I'd love that. Um, cool. Uh, let's see here. So, um, 
you know, I, I spoke to Bill Sotheris and I asked him if he had any sort of insider questions uh, that he knew would be juicy to ask you. And um, one one thing he said was, "Why are you so microtonally hope hopeless?" And I was like, "That's that's kind of brutal, man." But then I realized, of course, it's your book. Um, uh, can you get into what makes you microtonally hopeful or hopeless? Uh... Yeah. If okay, hold on one more time. Let me let me show you the cover. <laughs> See that drawing? Yeah, that's exactly you, right? <laughs> well, I have a good friend, Mike Keith. He's in Mexico now. He was the political cartoonist. For the Denver Post for 36 years. Oh, beautiful. Awesome. He, he won a Pulitzer in 2011. He's one of the greats, all-time greats. Well, he was a student of mine for years. So years ago, he swapped me that cartoon for some lessons. Nice. And then when it came time to do the book, I said, can I use your tune? And he said I could. It's meant to be, you know, I think musicians have maybe the most advanced sense of humor of any group <laughs> in the world. Just because okay. of our lifestyle, how crazy it is. So by hopelessly microtonal, I'm just saying, it's just what I do. Mm -hmm. okay. It's just what I do. But I played 12, I played thousands and thousands of gigs, dude, in my career on 12-tone guitar, no problem. It's a great tuning system. It works. Mm -hmm. It was designed to play modulating chordal music. Mm -hmm. You can't do that in just intonation. So the Europeans invented, you know, the keyboard and all this. Well, fuck, how are we going to modulate from C to C sharp? Game on. Mm -hmm. So the last 500 years are doing all this math trying to figure out, oh, fuck, if we go from C to C sharp, now the third sound awful. Mm -hmm. So they tweak, you know, they start tempering this note. Okay, that's where well temperament and mean tone and all that comes from, all the math. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So... I'm just saying, hopefully, microtonal. There, there's a bit of humor in there. Gotcha. Okay. Um, now I know that Bill, um, he he's sort of like, I guess, is able to explore a lot of these things via a MIDI guitar. Have you ever been tempted by that, or have you? Do you have any MIDI guitars hanging out? I I do not. I would love to get more involved with that, but now you get into other subjective things. It's like I, it just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I could have. I still could. Yeah. I have enough mathematical friends. They could wire me up to anything I wanted. But, uh, I'm happy with what I can do with my pedals. I'm okay. Gotcha. I feel like for me, I was uh, sort of seduced away from the standard guitar by the laptop, you know, and seeing that you can do anything you want with digital synthesis. But now, you know, I spent too many years not really <laughs> shedding guitar. So I feel like it, it bit me in the ass. Hey, and again, this is another just a good segue point even though i'm really into this you know all this only impresses me as much as when the song is over what am i left with mm -hmm. oh this is me being humorous jesus that guy was fast hey you want to go get coffee mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> where i hear hank i'm not kidding it i will weep when i hear some hank williams tunes there's a difference mm-hmm uh, I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I listen to jazz all day when I'm on the computer. You know, we have a good jazz station here. Man, there's guys that, you know, they're pretty outrageous musicians. No mm -hmm. doubt. But at the end of the day, it's got to move me. Mm -hmm. And what moves you may not move me and vice versa. And that's fair enough, too. Mm -hmm. okay. Sure. Um, 
so I saw you also have books on um, harmonics and spirals and then, quote, the form of no forms. Um, can you sort of uh, tease what those are about a little bit? Yes. So I just happen to have them here. So here's <laughs> harmonics and spirals. What I wanted to do with that, and this this was written in 2015 and hopefully microtonal a couple years later. I'll talk about form and no forms too. That was in 1984. Harmonics and spirals. I got tons of theory books on tuning and they all talk about the harmonic series, but just a little bit. And then this book will have a little bit. And then this book will have a little bit. So what I did in harmonics and spirals, I went from the first harmonic to the 32nd and just broke each interval down from the first to the second, mm -hmm. second to third, third, and told you what they are. And then I did it with the ratios and then with synths. So you could see, oh, oh, the five, four, all that is, man, is the fifth, the distance between the fourth and the fifth harmonic. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. So the fifth harmonic is vibrating. I'll just use rounded numbers 500 times a second. And the fourth harmonic is 400 times a second. Mm -hmm. That's a major third. So I wanted to simplify it. It's still a really tough subject. Um, by the way, so the white triangle is from Pythagoras and the black one. Are you familiar with Herb Wilson? Mm -mm. Oh boy, you should make a note of that name. Was, he lived in LA that, his whole... Is he that theorist from Mexico? No. He he went back and forth. He was born okay. in Mexico, yes. Okay. And he was a botanist. Maybe I knew a little bit from Wikipedia. <laughs> well, just look up Irv Wilson. He's He died a few years ago. A very kind man. Very humble, but one of the greatest geniuses you'll ever meet. Mm -hmm. I met him at a gig in El Paso in 97, and we hit it off. So the deal with Irv was he didn't even have a computer. <laughs> so if you want to talk to Irv, you get on the phone to write him a letter. Gotcha. Interesting. So if, if you, you, John, were to say, hey, you know, I heard about this and that. Could you send me some of your work on that? He'd send you a bunch of papers. He did that for everybody. So I have wow. a stack at least two feet high of papers that have sent me. Wow. And I'm not a mathematician, but I can. You don't have to be a mathematician to understand, for example, that gravity bends light. Mm hmm. A five-year-old can understand that, but you do have to be a mathematician to figure out how it got there. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm just making a point. So I can understand some of the things that are talked about without the math to get there. Right. So this this black triangle, there's seven or eight of them in his papers. He's, he calls them the scales of Mount Maru. <laughs> okay, I love it. And this one, it's a it's based off the Fibonacci series. So he was building musical scales by taking the numbers of the Fibonacci series and then really putting them on like a keyboard. Mm. Really cool stuff. Nice. So like I said, you can understand that. I can't do the math, but I go, oh, it's a 23 tone Fibonacci scale. Gotcha. Sure. Now, so, uh, you asked if um, I was like, if I did a microtonal music and I, I don't really do microtonal music per se, but um Maybe I sort of do in like, you know, you're saying the four against five is kind of a major third. And so I'm, I consider myself much more of like a rhythmic sort of guitarist and like a formal type person. And so like, there are generally like these big structural Elliot Carter-esque polyrhythms. 
but um, I'm saying maybe I am a microtonal musician because at the you know at some level those rhythms are microtonal intervals, right? You know, just stretch with. Just the open out. up another door. <laughs> there are people that have gone into micro rhythms. Now I haven't studied it, but they're talking about that too. So mm-hmm. how do you how do you sync up the micro tones with the micro rhythm? There's a whole nother study. Mm-hmm. And then you hit a drum. And those are inharmonic partials. They're not like the harmonic series. So now what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ain't got time to do it all. Right. Um, is there anybody in that field that you would point me towards? <laughs> you, you live in LA. You should you should get to know John Schneider. Okay. He he's one of the cats. He's one of the heavy heavy dudes. He's he won a Grammy in 2015 huh. for Harry Parch album. Okay. Oh yeah, shit. He's the uh, Harry Parch. Uh... Uh, ensemble guy, huh? I did a gig in New Mexico a few years ago and he was there. They paid him and he hauled a bunch of the instruments to New Mexico. Wow, cool. So I got to see some of them. I don't, I think they're copies. I think the, the Harry's, somebody at a university has custody of those, but I can't remember who. Interesting. But, but Schneider has a radio show every Thursday, dude, on some station there. I can't remember what it is. I'll definitely scope it out. Um, Look him up. Um, so uh, you were—I uh, cut you off when you were talking about the uh, triangles. So uh, Mount Maru and um, Irv, uh, what were you saying about those? Well, <laughs> when you look at the triangle, there's just there's one at the top, and then it goes the next level, and so he's—he's. He's, I see the math. Mm-hmm. And, and so from dividing these numbers up into different segments, that's where he starts building the ratios for the scales. So there's seven of them, and each one is harder than the last. Gotcha. Interesting. And he used to say, I love, loved Herb. He really, I feel very blessed. He really liked me. I've heard from other people. He really respected what I did. He knew I wasn't a math guy, but he knew I did it here. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot, I got a lot of his letters and he'd send me three by five cards and he'd say, drink a Phaedra tea and use this kind of honey. (laughs) Oh, he was a riot. That's amazing. Oh, I loved him to death for such a genius. He was very down home. He -hmm. had no pretensions like some geniuses do, but yeah, look up Herb Wilson. Most definitely. Big deal. A Phaedra tea. (laughs) Well, he was a botanist. Mm-hmm. And he sent me a whole bunch of articles about legalizing marijuana. Interesting. And wow. building a port in Mexico and, you know, and I look at the killer herb. We only <laughs> met twice. Interesting, man. That's cool. Um, uh, so a uh, form of no forms, um, uh, that that was before the spiral book. Um, so what's, what's the form of no forms? Okay. I wrote that in 84. I started studying jazz with a brilliant alto player named George Keith in 76. Him and a guy named John Parsons were, they just had a little school at at George's home up in Five Points in Denver. So I met him. I I was with George for at least 10 years, maybe 15. Brilliant, brilliant bebop sax player, but he was really open-minded here. Mm -hmm. So see so after a few years i just thought you know i want to put some of this down in, in in paper form so i wrote the book 
it's before I got into microtones. Mm-hmm. So it's about 12 tone theory. And I had a couple really good experiences with that. I met Joe Pass, the great jazz player, in a weird circumstance, and gave him a copy of the book. Well, he wrote me a letter six months later and endorsed it in a letter. Awesome. Nice. And then Tommy Tedesco, the great studio player, did the same thing. So it's a good book for 12-tone theory. It'll, it'll take you a long way. Interesting. Okay. Um, I have curiosity. Are you, uh, do you know Frank Potenza? I know the name. He's a big Joe. He studied with Joe. He's played yeah. with Joe. Mm-hmm. Do you know him? Uh, yeah, I, I used to study with him briefly when I was at USC, but uh, I know that he was supposed to be like Joe Pass's like protege or something. Well, he he used to, he was on means. Facebook. Haven't seen him in a long time. Mm-hmm. No, he's he's one of those badass. You know, he's he's the shit, as we say. Mm-hmm. Frank can play. <laughs> totally. Um. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the form of no forms. Uh, interesting that that's mostly about twelve tone theory. Um, uh, so w- I mean, that's a provocative title, though. So what do you mean by the form of no forms? Dude, you ask good questions. Good for you. Oh, thank you. You, you. you deserve a raise. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I studied martial arts for years. Oh, cool. With some really good people. Not a fighter. Not a tournament guy. I just did it. I fell into it. And met some guys, and I learned a lot. Well, when you, as soon as you get into martial arts, now you're into you know Shaolin and Taoism and Buddhism. It's all part of the deal. So you're mm-hmm. you're studying those teachings as well. It just kind of came out of that form and no forms. Okay. After I read, after I wrote the book, a few years later, I saw a book in a martial arts magazine called The Sword of No Swords. I never heard of it when I wrote my book. Gotcha. What it means to me is, here, 12 notes. What can you do with those 12 notes? In other words, one of the differences for me, John, is like I said, I play so many styles. So, you know, I hear these shredders. I'm like, Jesus, dude, killer. But what are you going to do on a rockabilly gig? Right. Well, they don't care about that, obviously. I was making a point. But when I go on a rockabilly gig, dude, I am Jerry Lee Lewis and Carl Perkins. But now I'm going to a Symphony Pops concert, which I did a lot of. Well, now you're reading charts Mm -hmm. and playing exactly what they want you to play. Now I'm getting a call for a blues gig. Okay. Uh, How about a jazz gig? So I can go between those different worlds pretty well. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by form and no forms. Gotcha. Um, so it's, I mean, it sounds kind of, you know, you mentioned Taoism and Buddhism. It sounds kind of like a Wu Wei type of uh, sort of like the, the water has no form Bruce Lee type thing. And I, I appreciate, I think you get it. There are people that'll ridicule this. I'm thinking, Bubba, you know, put your big boy pants on here. <laughs> th- th- this isn't to be ridiculed. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of new agey horse shit that takes those teachings and makes them real simplistic, a little meme about Buddha. It's like, eh. And profitable. <laughs> I just saw a really good documentary on the Buddha, like two hours, and they really dug in. Mm-hmm. He went through a lot. Yeah. You know, you hear, oh, he sat under the boat, the tree, and achieved enlightenment. Yeah, but what did he do for the 60 years before that? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I like that stuff. But if I would throw in my own two cents here, I'm much more aligned with like a Native American teachings which most people know zip about even though we yeah. live in their land <laughs> right yeah um interesting cool um yeah i i mean i've considered myself like kind of like a 
uh, a Taoist that you know has no real authenticity for a while. But um, I mean, whatever it means to be a Taoist these days. Um, yeah, that's a good, good question. Just hmm. riffing again, I had a Tai Chi teacher for a while, Bing Lee, who was quite the feller, and we had lunch once, and he said, you know, a Taoist can be a slumlord. I thought that was interesting. I might not totally agree with that, but I get his point. Again, he, he wasn't trying to make it into a silly little new agey meme. Taoism's deep and old, and you got to dig in. You got to dig um, in. The previous guest I spoke to, uh, Jeffrey Holmes, who's you know this microtonal composer, um, he has this whole thing about like Viking warrior poetry. He's a real mystical cat, but like um, he was also mentioning martial arts. So it's interesting that you were saying it and. Um, I'm curious if you have uh, any sort of like martial art that you would suggest for somebody who's never done it, or um, if there's any sort of like, you know, school that you adhere to. You know, it's fascinating again. It's so subjective. The, the guys I studied with is a guy named Ben Dacascus. Okay. He's still around. His brother Art just died. And Al Dacascus, there was three of them. I never met Al. He was, he was the brother that taught the two younger guys. Al would fight guys like Chuck Norris in tournaments. He was a big deal. No, but he, Al's on the level of Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris. He's just not that well known. So I absorbed a lot of that through Benjamin. I used to go to Ben's house over in Sheridan Street and hang out for hours working on the bag, and he's showing me this. But he was also a guitar player. So we, I showed him some guitar stuff. Anyway, my favorite style of all was Tai Chi. No, okay. no, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 Wing Chun. Okay. Huh. Which is what Bruce Lee studied with a guy named Yip Man in China. It's a very pared down, simple style, but it's very interesting. Uh, it, from what I've read, hopefully it's true, it came from a Shaolin nun. can't remember her name who taught it to a young woman named Beautiful Springtime, which translates the Wing Chun. Interesting, okay. And it's a very direct, just fascinating. But that was Bruce Lee's fundamental. And he always talked about Yip Man with great respect. But he also talked about other martial artists later. He called stuff like karate organized despair. Interesting. <laughs> my, I had my daughter in Taekwondo when she was a little girl. It was great. Mm -hmm. what what benjamin taught was called one hop kendo which his brother al invented that term it, it gets real complex um do you ever do any uh qigong or um like uh more sort of like meditation introspective stuff well that was what tai chi kind of was mm -hmm. but I, soon after i got into tai chi my daughter was born and you had to do it every day Mm -hmm. like 105 moves and i just kind of drifted out of it but i really like tai chi yes it's it's moving meditation i'm curious um are you familiar with the guitarist dushan bogdanovich i know the name i've got a piece of his in one of my albums i, I think you'd uh you'd appreciate what he's all about um he, he's one of my favorite composers and guitarists um you know, he does a lot of like um, sort of Balkan rhythms and like yes. polyrhythmic stuff, and um, yeah, a real deep dude. Um, yeah, but he's he's in Geneva now, and you know he's what uh, he's in Geneva. He was teaching at the conservatory there, and he just retired. But um, yeah, brilliant player. Yeah, I've got a piece of his what the the Prince's Toys or something. You heard of that? 
Not that I know of. Um, I think it's him. Hmm. It's on an album by some Russian classical guitar player. Interesting. I'll look it up later and email you. I'm, I'm sure. pretty sure it's him. Interesting. Um, yeah, he's he's so cool, man. Um, it, but it's funny. Like, I I feel like uh, he's one of those people who I'm not sure what he would do with microtonal instruments. But like, I feel like he's like, yeah, I already I've spent too much time doing this stuff. I can't you know dive into a whole new thing. So, hey man, uh, just riff I'm 70. I've done this a while. Mm -hmm. It really boils down to the older you get, how much time you got, and what do you want to do with it. So mm -hmm. there's a, I'd love to study Bogdanovich, but I, I just ain't got the time anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. I've got stacks of classical guitar music. I was really into it. I was a restaurant classical player. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot of the repertoire, but I'm not a professional like that, but I learned mm -hmm. a lot from doing it. Interesting. Um, cool, man. Uh, let's see here. So um, another thing that Bill wanted me to ask you or thought that would be a good question is how many instruments do you have? Where's the answer in the book? <laughs> Sense of humor. I think I had 30 at one time. Damn. I've sold a couple. Uh, what did I sell? John took one of the 19-tone basses back. He wanted it, so that's over his house. And I sold the guitar, too, but I've got probably 30. Awesome. Ah. Cool. Um, let's see here. So um, I think I've asked most of what I want to ask. Um, yeah, I guess... Uh, I, I did see in a video that you were saying, like, I don't play chords on this one yet. And so, um, uh, which, which, op or which chords, sorry, which guitars are you able to play polyphony or polyphonic stuff on? Oh yeah. 19, um, the 24 tone equal tempered has been sitting there for years. I just haven't got to it, but I can, same deal. You mm -hmm. can play chords in that easily. You know, again, you can play chords in 31 and 34. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Um, I haven't played much 31 simply because so many people have done it. So I concentrated on 34. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, like I said, I got one blues tune in 36. I'll send you the video. It's like a Delta blues, you know, really, really down home, but boy, you can hear the microtones. Nice. Um, dude, I got a CD of some guy playing fretless guitar, like jazz standards. So he did it. He got chords going on it. Okay. Again, do I want to spend years learning how to do that? No. Mm -hmm. Right. But he did. Good for him. Great. Um, yeah, are you into, uh, I think they call him Fuse. Uh, I forget his last name. It's like Fuzuki. Fuzinski. Yeah. There's a long story there. I actually got invited to do a class of his at Berkeley oh, cool. in, in 2004. So I did. We met and hung out a bit, and I did the class and all. We kept in touch for a while, but haven't seen him. No, we just did a Zoom. Do you know Johnny Reinhardt? I don't know. Oh, boy. <laughs> There's another guy. He's a bassoonist. Okay. He's cool. living in California now, but he was a New York guy, and he did a yearly festival in New York for like 30 years. Just tons and tons of people came through and original compositions. But anyway, we just did a Zoom and Fuzinski was on that. Right, cool. Um, so he's got a thing going at Berkeley. I think he's mostly in the 24-tone equal temperament. Interesting, okay. And so and he also like plays fretless. Tone. Gotcha, yeah, that makes sense. Um, are, are there any other people that you would suggest in this sort of realm? Like, um, uh, 
I think like Timusin Sahin comes to mind of like uh, the double neck guitar guy. What's, um, what's he, his name again, please? Uh, I believe it's Timusin Sahin. He has like a, a double neck guitar where it's like seven string fretless and then six yeah. string. There, real, there's a bunch of Turkish stuff. guys. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy named Tolgahan. I can't pronounce his last name. Sorry. I'll send you some names. Tolgahan is kicking ass. Um, okay. He's got a one of the classical guitars where you can move the frets. Gotcha. Nice. So he actually won a big contest for instruments, not for playing. Pat Metheny was one of the fucking judges, for God's sake. <laughs> so that guitar of his won a prize for innovation and, you know, for being an innovative piece of gear. Let's put it that way. Interesting. Okay, cool. And he's just doing all kinds of shit. He's got a microtonal guitar made out of Legos. <laughs> oh, shit. It Man. works. Legos have been coming up in my life so frequently for some reason. It's like uh, the universe telling me something. Well, Tolgahan is 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 a great guitar player, and he, but he's doing a lot. Again, it's not just the guitar playing for me. And then there's a Erkan Ogre, Turkish okay. guy. He's very mystical. Nobody knows where he is, and he's hard to get a hold of. But man, is he a great fretless guitar player? Just fucking killer. There's a bunch okay. of Turks whose names I don't know, but they, they pop up in the threads every now and then. Catler, mm. John Catler, Schneider. Um, there's so many people. Oh, there's a <laughs> kid in, not a kid, I'm 70, sorry. He's, he's a young man. I'm sorry, don't be offended. Oh, yeah, yeah. The way we talk at 70. 60-year-old's a kid to me. <laughs> um, come on. What's his last name? Hold on. Oh, here it is. Brendan Burns. Okay. Really? I just, yeah, I heard of this name recently. He'd be a guy you might want to talk to. Okay, cool. Awesome. He does a lot of, his new CD is 27 tone. Cool. Awesome. This one has 22, 22, 13 limit, just intonation, 27, seven. It's, it's beautiful stuff. It's, my stuff tends to be a little more gnarly because I'm a blues guy, mm -hmm. but his stuff, I'm using an analogy. It's almost like you're seeing a science fiction movie and you see this beautiful city way out on the horizon with these spires. And that's what his music sounds like to me. Interesting. That's a great visual. Very beautiful. And I mean, 27 tone. Um, so in my mind, I'm thinking three cubed, right? Three, yeah, three cubed. And um, so I did this video recently about... Um, you know, Scott LaFaro and like uh, that tune Jade Visions that he plays with uh, or played with uh, Bill Evans. So it's in nine and I was like exploring the hypercubic waltz or something like that. It's um, a nine. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like, you know, duh, 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 duh. But um, I expanded it to, you know, be in 27 and then in whatever 89 Killer? Whatever the next one is. Um, so it's kind of fun. Um so, you know, we briefly sort of touched on, like, some of the mystical sort of, like, you know, cosmically-minded uh, music stuff. And I'm curious if you have any opinions on the controversial topic of 440 versus 432. I guess you can tell, yes. Look. Interesting, okay. Well, let me kind of explain my philosophy about stuff. We're doing a podcast. Hopefully people will listen to it. You know, I might speak a little differently to you than I would to a friend in private. Okay. I'll bring out the motherfuckers in private more than I would. <laughs> okay, just a sense of humor once again. Mm -hmm. But 
okay, I have a, a friend in Denver. Who, I, I don't know him well. He's so big in 32. Okay, here's the deal. So tune your 12-tone guitar to 432. But all the intervals are still out of tune. Right, yeah, yeah. The bass frequency, I believe that numbers mean things, no problem. But again, you got to know the real serious teaching as opposed to new agey horseshit, which is right, mostly yeah, yeah. what we get these days. Numbers are Pythagoras. He was huge in the numbers. Okay. Mm -hmm. I get it. But 432, I say to my friend, I won't mention his name. I'll say, you know, on Facebook, look, all the other intervals are still out of tune. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you're a little lower than 440. But it's still the same tuning system. Yeah, this now, is now, how I tend to Yeah, Catler's into all that shit, but he's really brilliant. So here, here's an analogy for the bass frequency. I went to New York in 94 to play mm -hmm. one of Reinhardt's festivals. So Catler had a piece that was in 31 and 19 at the same time. How's that? Okay. And hey, I was a little nervous and I'm in New York and, you know, I don't think I played that great, but I survived. But he would tune his instruments to somehow don't remember ask Catler where I understand the frequency of electronic lighting is like 60 Hertz. Okay. So he would like tune his instruments to that frequency. So they would be in harmony with that rather than fighting it. Okay. Interesting. Remember, please, John, if you hear this, don't get pissed. I, you explain it, but it was something like that. Mm -hmm. So he was very aware of different, you know, bass pitches, as you call it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But so much of that, John, we didn't have any way of measuring that before electronics. Right. So what was Beethoven tuning to? Yeah. Mozart, Bach, who knows? Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with everything that you're saying. Um, and I, it's interesting because, you know, I was talking to Jeffrey Holmes. Um, I asked him about this and uh, he sort of, I was totally surprised because he was like, yeah, I tend to favor 432. And I was like, what? Like, because uh, again, you know, he's doing like six tones and quarter tones and all that. Um, and really interesting stuff. But like, I was very surprised that he believed in it at all because, you know, I, I tend to be kind of, you know, uh, I guess, a, you know, a, a rationalist atheist type. And uh, I don't want to believe that there's any healing properties to 432 versus 440. But it was interesting because, you know, his you know collaborator, Michael Kadurka, is like, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in it whatsoever. So it's like, you're a smart guy. Why do you? I don't know. Okay. Again, John, great point. Here's my point. Look, again, I don't want to get into needless intellectual minutiae. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. If you want to turn to 432 to go, I'm not going to debate it. Now, if you ask me my opinion, I'll say, well, I don't think it makes any difference. And you might say, well, it does. Okay, mm -hmm. go. In other words, if I'm the emperor of the world, I won't forbid you from tuning to 432. You can go ahead and do that. So you think the temperament is more important than the sort of reference pitch that you tune everything to? Again, one more time. Mm -hmm. just, just how I riff. Okay, tune to 432, but if all your other notes are out of tune, now what? Mm -hmm. What's the point? Now, maybe if I tune my 22 tone to 432, well, yeah. Here's an anecdote, perfect segue. 
I used to do a lot of stuff in schools and I got a gig through the union. I got a gig at a, at a elementary school for a week, like making rubber band guitars with the kids. It was cool. Mm-hmm. But there was a time when we had a break and all the kids, sixth grade, and all the kids were sitting at their desk. So I got my fretless guitar out, acoustic, and I tuned the strings, by the way, to harmonics. It's very difficult to play, mm-hmm. you know, to, to hit. Once you tune to the harmonics, then when you're playing the guitar, you have to match those harmonics with the notes you hit. Mm-hmm. That takes some work. But the kids were just sitting there, and I had my acoustic tuned to a harmonic tuning, and I started playing. And all of a sudden, see my head, kids are, their heads are dropping, and the whole room got so quiet, and the teacher even remarked on it. So the tuning, the pure harmonics were chilling everybody out. Interesting. Now that speaks to me. I saw it. I did it. I didn't mm-hmm. know that was going to happen. Interesting. I don't think I was tuned to 432, but the notes were so pure that it does create a different resonance. You used that word earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it chilled the whole room out. Um, have you ever like fiddled around with like those binaural beats where, you know, like one ear gets this and the other ear gets that and then the difference tone again, fascinating stuff. How much time we got? <laughs> I mean, as much as, uh, you know, you're willing to take, but <laughs> that's right. So people send me this music or that music. Sometimes I miss it just cause yeah, I'll watch that later. And then it starts dropping down in your email list. Oh, fuck. I for- totally forgot that from two weeks ago. I can't catch everything. Mm-hmm. What I listen to a lot now, a lot of oud music, really into the oud, um, classical. If I want to listen to rock or blues, it's Wolf and Hendrix. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to recreate the 60s either. I just want to make that point. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. We, we were supposed to move on from that. It's like when Stevie Ray Vaughan came out, God bless him, great guitar player, but he spent a lot of his career sounding like Jimi Hendrix and Albert King. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw Albert King three times in 1970. <laughs> Stevie, love you. I don't need you to sound like Albert. Mm-hmm. Just making a point. I'm big on originality, dude. If you sound like somebody else, you may be the baddest guy in the world but you sound like alan holdsworth well i already heard alan holdsworth mm-hmm. i'm big on originality I, I think that's great and really important because like I've, i found that when i was like you know in school and stuff there was this very conservative attitude where it's like people didn't want you to find new material they didn't want you to like try new things they were like no you need to be like you know essentially just like worshiping at the church of charlie parker or you know, and like you should but like you shouldn't try to like replicate him because I mean, you're going to fail. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Where, where, where'd you go to school? At, at USC. Uh, University of Southern California. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, they, they have like a guitar program there that was doing a studio jazz guitar and they have like uh, a pretty good jazz studies program. Uh, like Alan Pasqua, the pianist teaches. Oh yeah. Stuff. Well, he played with Holdsworth. Yep. I'm, I'm a big Holdsworth guy. I mean, Ooh, I me too. avoided him like the plague in the sense of I didn't want to study him because mm-hmm. I didn't want to get any of that in my playing. I got several books of his. I gave him away. Not that I don't. He was a genius, but I don't want you to hear me and go, oh, yeah, man, you sound like Holdsworth. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. 
Nope. I mean, did he have anything? Um, I'm trying to pull the book out here real quick. Is this it? Anything besides this one? I got it! <laughs> I don't think did, I gave that one away. Did he have any other books besides this? Yeah, yeah, he had a couple. Interesting, okay. Um, again, John, this has been great. You know, we're all going to see things slightly different. I, I think the important thing is to just respect somebody. Again, we're human beings. So if I don't like somebody's playing, sure, to my friends, I might say, Jesus, that sucks. But I don't need to say that in public. I don't want to hurt this person. Right. They're playing their ass off. We can all coexist. But here's what I also tell people. I've been fortunate in my career when I send CDs out, I usually get pretty good reviews. I got a couple stinkers, but so you send your CD to downbeat and I'm good friends now with the guy that does the blues reviews. We became friends over the internet. Uh, you, you, you can't imagine how many blues CDs this man has heard. <laughs> so if he gets a guy that sounds like Dwayne Ullman, What's he supposed to do? Say, oh, man, killer. You sound like Dwayne Allman. No, he's going to give you a star and a half. Mm -hmm. Get your own style. Right. That, that's big. I, I was that way when I was a kid. The big turning point for me, dude, 14, I'd been playing about six months, and I heard Jeff Beck on the radio with the Yardbirds doing over, under, sideways, down. I don't know if you go back that far. <laughs> I, I'm after, good that blue, personally. <laughs> well, after the Beatles... I think the Yardbirds were the greatest rock group of them all because Clapton, Beck, and Page all came out of it. So I heard over and sideways down in the radio at 14, and I thought I had an Arabic station. That's how weird it was. And at that moment, I mean this literally. I said to myself, that's what I want to do. But I don't mean sound like Jeff Beck. Mm -hmm. I meant I want to do something different. Right. 14. So that was just part of who I was. There was no intellectual component. Nobody said, hey, you need to get your own style. I knew that as a kid. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Beck's still a favorite. Um, it, you, you commented on uh, Alan Holdsworth, and Alan's definitely in my top three. And so I'm curious if you have any uh, thoughts or feelings, maybe as we wrap up on my other two, who are Ben Monder and Egberto Gismonti. Oh, my God. Those are my three. <laughs> I saw Monder year or so ago with uh, what's the group with stair baby okay yeah uh, Dan got that this group. Mm -hmm. the I, we have a pretty good local jazz club here but the sound was really bad that night so it didn't sound good but then i got the album i think stair baby is some of the best fucking fusion guitar i've ever heard in my life killer mm -hmm. i mean it's out there and the whole album is just monstrous great compositions and then i've got his Another album where he plays solo guitar. It was two uh, double CD, solo oh, yeah, yeah. trio. Day after day, I think. I can't remember the name, but the solo one? Ah, fuck. Yeah, and he plays like Emily, and it's fucking insane. That's yeah. the tune I listen to over and over. And and Gizmani, I've got several albums. I was really a big ECM guy. Mm -hmm. They had all the great guitar players for a while. So yeah, Egberto, fuck. So there's your answer. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, I just needed you to comment and verify oh. that I have impeccable taste. <laughs> you know, Monder, again, how do you play fusion that badass and then play solo that badass? That's not so easy. Mm -hmm. 
Man, yeah. Uh, when I was in college, I sent him an email because I, I wasn't having a great time my first year, and uh, I was like, you know, I'm trying to study with you, and he's basically like, uh, well, here's some stuff to practice, and it's the type of thing where like I feel like I've chipped away at five percent of it to this day, and that was you know like however many years ago. Um, just like learn these permutations, these permutations, these permutations, like just learning how important permutations is. Like, but that was really nice that he reached out to you. Yeah. Good for yeah, him. It, Some of those guys are jerks. Totally. He's always been super kind and generous, um, which is great. Um, so uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about here before we wrap up? Dude, I could talk for hours, but I really appreciate it. You know, we're, we're, we're just winging it and improvising and it's very cool. Yeah, man. Good, um, good for you. It's been super interesting hearing you talk about um, all this stuff, and it's I, I really appreciate that attitude about um, you know sort of reverence for the history of the music, but also like not trying to create a carbon copy, trying to do some new stuff because that's that's essential to my sort of musical spirit. So um, I'm glad that we we're aligned in that way. You know, it's funny. Um, like I said, I you know I I started playing 56 years ago. I've been doing this a while, and I mean doing it. Trillions of gigs, student sessions. I used to do a lot of symphony pops, a lot of plays. I did a lot of plays. Those are tough gigs, mm -hmm. tough music. But I did a, you know who Jason Robert Brown is? Mm -mm. One of the great theater composers. He won, a, he won a Tony a few years ago. I actually did a play where he was conducting here in Denver for two weeks. And trust me, I was nervous. <laughs> he knows what he wants, but we, mm -hmm. we got through it okay. But I did plays. And you got to go in and read 72 pages of music, you know, and you got to nail it. Mm -hmm. So I did all that too. It's very good discipline. Mm -hmm. You're not playing what you want. You're playing what they wrote. Right. But in my gigs, get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> We're going for it. Mm -hmm. So yes, I respect, you know, who Charlie Bird was, you know, that name. I, I know of it. Yeah. Or... He was a big deal. Classic, you know, jazz on a classical guitar. He was a great player. He had a quote once in Guitar Player, I will never forget. And this is me. He says, anybody that can play a G7 chord is my friend. I like okay. that. So a little kid walks up to you and he's got a chord. Encourage him. Mm -hmm. He's a killer. Go. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Um, G7. I mean, any G7. <laughs> I think he's just making the point that if you pick up a guitar and go for it, let's talk. I have a nine-year-old student that I love to death, Roy. His dad studies with me, too. He is just the greatest little kid you'd ever meet. He's very funny. He loves my ferrets. He's ferret crazy. <laughs> you can't keep him away. Mm -hmm. But he's playing guitar, bass, and now saxophone at school. Awesome. So he brings the sax in. And I showed him the riff, The Spoonful by Howlin' Wolf. It goes that spoon, that spoon, that. And he goes honk, 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 honk. He's playing his ass off. That's great, yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> He's playing friend. his ass off at nine years old. Good, he can play Spoonful. Okay, we'll get better. <laughs> so if, if we're winding up, yeah, that's good. I got a guy in about a half hour. Cool. So look, if you don't mind, I'll email you some stuff. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I'll put it all in the show notes for other people to check out. And uh, yeah, it sounds great. Um, but, but I mean, I'm talking about like with blues and the Yardbirds and that. There's some mm -hmm. stuff you might want to look at. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I appreciate all types of music, but I, I spent a long time being very opinionated and very narrow-minded. Um, 
you know, open-minded in that narrow-mindedness, but uh, I'm, I'm more receptive to things nowadays. You're not alone in that. And like I said, I'm 70, but I had my share of ego when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I was able to lose most of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, if I see somebody that doesn't play that good, I don't need to kick their dick. <laughs> Who cares? Mm-hmm. Again, they're a human. They're up there playing. They're doing the best they can. Now, that being said, one more comment. <clears throat> I have a good friend named Bob Lore, keyboard player. He played with Chuck Berry for the last 18 years of Chuck's life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of great blues. He's one of the best blues pianists. He's in the lineage, man. He's a badass. And, you know, there was a head-cutting thing in blues back in the Chicago days. The bands would compete, and whoever was the best band would get the gig. So it meant something. Mm-hmm. and muddy waters had a band they were so bad that they'd walk into the club and the club owner would say you win they didn't have to play they were so bad so the other side of me i don't mean you of course i mean anybody you you give me that same respect if you try to kick my dick don't go there mm-hmm. i don't like that and i really don't like that i mean seriously elitism mm-hmm. so you know Sometimes I think about a little head cutting contest here in Denver with the other blues people, but that's my street. Okay, you think you're badass, huh? Mm-hmm. You really do. I'm, remember, I'm just riffing here. Right, right, right. That was a thing in the blues scene, and jazz guys got into that too. There was a lot of head cutting in those jam sessions in Kansas City in the 30s. I just read a great story. I have a book called Jazz Anecdotes. <laughs> Hundreds of stories, really cool. And, uh, Coleman Hawkins, you know, who's one of the big mm-hmm. dudes. 1934 in Kansas City. Mary Lou Williams talked about this in the book. She's sleeping this night, and there's a knock at her window at four in the morning. And it's one of the guys says, Hey, hey, pussycat, you got to come down to the club. You know, uh, the piano players are so tired. We need a new piano. They've been jamming since like nine o'clock. But Coleman Hawkins was there. And here's what Mary Lou said It appeared he ran into something he wasn't expecting. In other words, the Kansas City boys were giving him a hard time. He wasn't out playing them. Mm, so he was down to his undershirt. He stripped his shirt off and he's got his, they call it a singlet, those old man undershirts. <laughs> he stripped down to his singlet and he couldn't play around the Kansas City boys. Interesting. And then he got in his car. He had a gig in St. Louis and he blew his car out driving to St. Louis. I like those stories. <laughs> Those all sound good. Um, it, real quick, um, you know, I was asking if anybody I knew had questions for you, and um, somebody wanted to know if you had any sort of St. Louis anecdotes that you uh, wanted to share beyond that. Yeah, yeah, tons of them. Uh, you know, Miles was from East St. Louis. Well, my friend Bob, who I just mentioned in 1970, mm-hmm. we were putting our blues band together. Me and the harmonica player lived in Kansas City. We were going to school, and the bass player and drummer were from St. Louis. So we went to St. Louis for the summer and hung out, and it was hell of a summer. You know, we were up all night doing acid and doing this and that. Well, Bob took us over to East St. Louis to jam at the wagon wheel. And here's what I tell people, you know, there's all this woke horse shit about race now. Don't give me any kumbaya shit about going to East St. Louis. If you're white, you could get killed or beat up. End mm-hmm. of ball game. So you had to go over there with somebody. So Bob took us over. Nobody even paid any attention to us. We did a set. 
we stopped the crap game in the back. That's how we knew they liked us. The guys playing craps came out to look at us. I'm saying that with some humor, but mm -hmm. that was a big deal. For sure, yeah. And so we jammed in East St. Louis. Did we go over there all the time? No. But Bob had a house gig over there at 18 years old, for fuck's sake. Mm -hmm. But here's a story from Bob from a magazine. He was playing there one night, and they heard a big explosion. <laughs> so they went out front, and there was a crater, and there was a guy from Nam. He said that was incoming. Somebody had shot a fucking mortar round at the club. Damn. That's how bad it was. Yeah. yeah, you've heard about chicken wire in the country bars, but how many guys get a mortar shot at them? <laughs> so there's an anecdote about East St. Louis. How's that? Damn, yeah. Well, hey. <laughs> yeah, true story. So Bob's retired now, too. Muddy, you know, Chuck died a couple years ago. But we just did a demo with my trio. He wants to play on it. So we did some tracks and we emailed him the track. So he's going to put his piano parts on in St. Louis. Nice. That's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. So that's kind of where I'm at. Just doing this and that. Cool. Cool. Well, um, I'm going to have to take a leak here. So, uh, me, me too. I feel like we should wrap it up. Um, Neil, it's been uh, an utter pleasure talking to you. Um, please stay in touch and you're always welcome back on here. If hey man, you talk more. let me say, I really appreciate it. I did a radio show once in Boulder. I was the guest. The guy talked about himself for 20 minutes. <laughs> it was pretty embarrassing. But you, if I was interviewing you, I'd let you'd be talking all the time. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I feel like uh, I have no need to try to compete with interesting stuff because I'm not going to win. <laughs> well, but, uh... but again, you're the host and you're interviewing mm -hmm. somebody. That's yeah. what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Is it? You can tell the good interviewer because they let the person talk, but yet your questions are very, very insightful. I appreciate it, man. Well, um, I try to. <laughs> I do my best. If you can't ask a good question, then the, inter then the guy being interviewed has nothing to say. Mm -hmm. And the Beatles used to get a deal with that. They were always asking about their favorite toothpaste instead of their music. Yeah. And they got tired yeah. of it after a while. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, ask me a question about something. It's nice to know like little tidbits about people's personality and stuff, but like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't care what toothpaste you use. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm a big Beatles guy. Beatles, Hendrix. If you want to sum up the '60s, very, you know, vaguely for rock, Beatles, Dylan, Hendrix, probably Dylan, Beatles, Hendrix. Dylan was such an influence on people. Fucking unbelievable. And then in jazz, you know, you had Coltrane and, you know, Miles and all that. So they, they kind of sum up that era of music when the shit was really happening. Mm -hmm. Really happening. So I was hoping with microtones we might get that again, and maybe we will. Well, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> you go take a whiz. I got a student, and I'll, I'll be sending you stuff. Awesome. Beautiful. All right. Um, thanks a lot, dude. Yeah. Thanks so much for talking to me, man. Uh, right. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Next I'll time. see you in the future. All right. All right. See you, man. Bonk.